Welcome to The Word in Ed, a show that explores the world of education. Each episode, we focus on one word and use it to provoke new thoughts, explore new trends, and discover how to improve education. This is The Word in Ed. The Word in Ed. Risk. Hey, Laura. Hey, Ron. So this is part two on the word risk. Yes, and our special guest today is Tony Simmons from the High School for Recording Arts, and he's going to talk about what it means to lead others in taking risks. My name is Tony Simmons, and I'm the Executive Director at High School for Recording Arts in St. Paul, also affectionately known as Hip Hop High. (laughs) Love it. Well, we're thrilled to have you, especially on your birthday, which is fantastic. Oh, you knew it was my birthday. Thank you. Happy birthday. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So as you know, Tony, our show, we take one word and explore it with our guests. And so the word this episode is risk. So when you hear the word risk, what does that mean for you and your work? Wow. It means so much. Um, I think everything about our story here as a school, even as I look at my life and the journey that took me here and and my partner, the co-founder of High School for Recording Arts, David T.C. Ellis. Um, you know, it's just been a life of, of taking chances, you know, breaking the mold, um, having people expect for you to fail, um, being crazy enough to stick with it, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and eventually, you know, having some, some setbacks, but eventually having a breakthrough. And um, so when I think about risk, I think of everything that is needed to really be innovative and and to do something different. If you don't take that chance, if you don't take that risk, uh, I don't know how things change and things improve. So, Tony, you started out, I know, as a, as a, I've known you well for a couple of years now, uh, as a lawyer, you know, and going in from kind of entertainment into schools, you know, from a personal perspective, you know, what made you take that risk? I know that you were working, you know, not not in education for a long time. And what made you kind of jump ship and join the education train, if you will? Um, what did that look like for you? You know, um, it's, it's really was just a number of things coming together all at once that kind of challenged me to my core. Um, I grew up in New York City and I was a product of New York City public school system. And at that time in the 60s and 70s, it was really rich with music and and uh, opportunity to engage creatively. And um, eventually I went to college and I went a different path. I, you know, I pursued political science. I went to law school, but I always had music as kind of core to me. Um, when I while I was in law school, I decided to with some buddies to start an entertainment law society because um, um, during that time in the uh, mid '80s, um, you know, hip hop was was just exploding in New York, and I went to Rutgers and right across the river from Manhattan, and um, and we just saw an opportunity to to engage ourselves in this phenomena that uh, we as teenagers helped you know form, mm. and so this was a chance for me to kind of go back to my roots in terms of music and and, and still pursue my interests in in the law and and things like policy and such. So when I met David Ellis and he told me he, at a music conference that he was, uh, uh, grew up in Minnesota and had been um, hanging out with Prince and produced an album, I was just enthralled. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, this is incredible. You know, This is a guy that I definitely want to work with. I started doing some um, um, legal work for him and flying out to Minnesota. But the real key, and I think to, the, to your question was, um, after uh, Prince uh, 
David was signed to a contract with, with Prince, so Warner Brothers, when Prince changed his name to a symbol to get out of his contract, because uh, he was very uh, willing to take risk mm -hmm. and do things a different way in the music industry. Uh, David was left without a contract and decided to uh, create his own recording studio. Over the course of time, young people were showing up at his studio really passionate about music, wanting to know how to um, put out their own um, uh, records and CDs, um, how did the business work? Um, but he noticed that at the same time, they all were ditching school. And he was telling me about these young people and you know what was going on with them and that, um, you know, that they uh, were, you know, just feeling like nobody understood them in a traditional education system, that they were um, getting, you know, um, pushed out or kicked out and that they had this, these natural gifts and abilities to, to take something that they were interested in to a next level, but no one were, were engaging him. So when David would tell me about these young people and I would fly out and I would meet them and I would see what was happening, how these um, incredible, what we call geniuses were falling through the cracks. Mm -hmm. It just hit me to my core. And I was like, wow, you know, um, this is really addressing something that has been with me all along, this, this appreciation and understanding of where they're coming from in terms of their passion around music. But the fact that, you know, these are also human beings that need to be valued. You know, for mm -hmm. me, my interest in the law is always about justice and understanding, you know, things around equality and, and, and you know, being fair. And, and, and I knew something was happening that wasn't fair and wasn't just with these young people. So mm -hmm. when it was a chance for me to engage with David and, and really um, form something like our school and, and to um, create something that looked different than, you know, anything else that was out there that was addressing a real need in our community, I, I, I couldn't turn away from it. Hmm. So, Tony, that's such a great story. I mean, I don't think I've heard that part of your story. I've known you for a while, um, but I love that story. So one of the things that's happening, you know, and I know that you're in Minnesota and you're working with students that, you know, that are coming to you, you know, and they, they're seeking help. How do you, so there's two things that I think I'm curious about. How do you continue to push them to take risks and at the same time um, help them to take the right risks. Sure. Given, yes. and I'll, I'll be straight up, you're, you're teaching and helping kids who are living in an environment where it's not safe for them to take risks. Sure. Outside of the you, school, right? So how yeah. do you, how, talk about that if you could. You know, the interesting part to that is that uh, they, they take risks every day because they have to survive. You know, and I think that's very important for us to take note of initially with our young people, their resiliency, their, you know, their sense, their resourcefulness. I mean, just to put it in context for your listeners, you know, um, most of our students are below the poverty line, but most also, and this is a high school, most live on their own, up to 50% are homeless, 60% are involved in the criminal justice system. But they come to us where we recognize that they have developed something within themselves that we need to recognize and build upon. So part of that to your question is, is understanding the risks they take every day to survive and to create all of the ingredients that go into someone who becomes naturally creative, naturally entrepreneurial. So we build upon that, we take that in, but then 
for us, the key is showing them how that, those skills, those um, abilities that they've gained really can go mainstream. And what I mean by going mainstream is, you know, taking it to a place that they never imagined taking it into the marketplace, the legitimate marketplace, mm -hmm. where, you know, people around the country, around the world who are interested in what they think, you know, how how they live, you know, um, what is the next um, uh, idea that they want to create. I mean, it really goes back to hip hop. I mean, that's what hip hop mm -hmm. was for out of the 1970s with kids who had barely anything and using that term off, you know, often stayed in hip hop, flipping something out of nothing. Mm -hmm. You know, Sam Seidel, as you guys both know, he he captured that aspect of these young people wonderfully in a, in a book that um, relates to our school, Hip Hop Genius. Uh, so, you know, for us, what that hip hop culture was able to demonstrate to the world, becoming a global phenomenon, you know, we're looking to do the same thing with our young people to mm -hmm. tap into that creative entrepreneurship, you know, that sense of that, you know, once they see that they can flip all of those natural abilities and that they can make a way for themselves and for their families and for their community and in a positive way is, is what we're constantly looking to do through authentic real world projects and um, access to people who they never thought they would, that would appreciate what they are able to do. And for the people on the other side who may have stereotypes about them, seeing them able to produce at an extremely high level. And you, then you break down those walls and, and possibilities are, you know, limitless. Yeah, mm -hmm. Tony, I'd like to uh, explore some of this further. I find your own journey uh, very inspiring and the space you're working in now very inspiring. And, and I'd like to explore, you know, for our listeners, what are some things that you think are necessary to build spaces where folks can come together and, you know, engage in that kind of possibility thinking to kind of move from, you know, what currently is to what could or should be? And how do you sustain that? So how do you start building that kind of space? And then how do you sustain that from day in and day out? Right. You know, I think it starts with really being clear with what your intentions are. You know, for us as an institution, um, being clear about our mission and our vision, um, having people really understand it at a gut level that we're trying to do something different, and then bringing aboard people who believe in it and are capable of delivering it. But then I think the key is giving them the space, the opportunity to explore what we're trying to do with the knowledge that you know failure is a part of the success pathway. In other words, you know, if we're doing something that's innovative and different, is um, we're going to have uh, times where you know we try something and it doesn't work, mm -hmm. and that's okay. You know, it's it's not driven on uh, you know a traditional concept in education, you know, where there's a movement afoot if teachers don't get their students to pass certain tests, you know, then that factors into their evaluation. Of, uh, I mean, I understand that on some level, but you know, I don't want my the people who I'm engaging in the work that we do here to be so scared of taking chances in terms of trying to innovate around young people that they become risk adverse. Mm. I, that that is that will absolutely make what we're trying to do collapse. 
and force us back into this traditional um, um, track. So we're trying to create um, safe space for people to innovate, make mistakes, but then you have to make sure that you got ways to um, fully appreciate what you're doing, what may have go gone right, what didn't go, what went wrong, you know, doing those debriefs, you know, um, and collaborating in the context of improvement, being on the path of continuous improvement so that you can sharpen and better deliver and better offer great opportunities for young people. I want to follow up on that question on that, Tony, because, you know, a lot of the things that you talked about and I've talked with you, I think before about you have a lot of students that are coming to you um, that are dealing, that are resilient, right? That are facing risk in their everyday life and they're pushing through. Right. How do you get your staff to not only understand that themselves, right? Because my imagine not all of your staff have had the similar backgrounds of your students. Yeah. Right. And then how do you encourage your staff to take risks, you know, because they're not coming from that same experience. So how do you cultivate that risk taking in the staff that you're working with? That's a great question. You know, um, I think first, we as leaders have to let our staff know that we absolutely respect each young person's story that walks through our door. There's some, there's, there's gems in it. We, and it's our task to, to find them, to, to understand what they're, what they are accomplishing by the mere fact that they're walking through the door. You know, what, are, what they're bringing with them that lends itself towards, you know, um, a chance for them to catch up in a competitive sense by building upon their natural abilities and skills and, 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 and you know, competencies that um, we have to fully absorb and acknowledge. So, you know, we have a process where every one of our students has a personal learning plan. And that personal learning plan is really spending time with our young people, building strong relationships, getting to know them. And with an eye, not on a, from a deficit perspective, but from an asset perspective. You know, as we begin to understand who they are and, and, and what they bring to the table, we'll see then what the challenges they face and some of the obstacles towards making progress, and we'll definitely will address it, but at the same time, you're gonna build such a respect and such a, uh, a positive regard for who we're working with that it, it, it breaks through a lot of the, like I said earlier, the stereotypes in the sense of, you know, we need to fix these young people or we, you know, there's this overemphasis of just uh, getting them to just, uh, uh, basic minimal level, you know, we're trying to shoot them to the stars mm -hmm. and they have what it takes to get there. They just need some positive adult, creative, interactive um, engagement. We just need to be in there with them by knowing them well, recognizing what they bring to the table, identifying some of those challenges and helping empower them to, to um, either uh, work through them or around them and then just then going for that 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 ride with them in this learning journey where both parties are learning at the same time oftentimes and 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 I think when you do it that way you know the staff that you have working for you um they feel I think they feel energized hmm. I think they feel 
you know, they personally feel empowered. They feel they are part of something that is, is using their their best assets. And, you know, I talked um, um, in San Diego at the Deeper Learning 2016 conference about the fact that, you know, oftentimes I think it helps then people to reflect upon their own stories, like you said, and mm -hmm. think about their own challenges and the things they've overcome themselves and, and begin to make that connection to that young person in the same way that they may now see themselves that I think is powerful when, when, when you have that breakthrough. Um, so, you know, th that, that's, that's, that's the way we do it here. And, um, you know, we're constantly, you know, uh, trying to figure out new pathways towards making that, you know, better, but, uh, that's, that's how we do it. And what a powerful message. And it just makes me think, you know, what if all educators, parents, coaches, viewed young people from the get-go with respect and saw that they were bringing strengths. And that's the first move in the relationship. I just think it's really, um, it's a powerful thing for us all to take up as a challenge. So as we kind of start drawing our conversation to a close, which I do not want to do, but I want to respect the fact it's your birthday <laughs> and give you, give you some time. <laughs> Is there anything else you'd like to share with us, Tony, or circle back on anything? I think you've given us so much to think about, a very inspiring message. You know, I, I think, um, you know, I, I, I'm so appreciative, appreciative of being a part of the community that I'm in with uh, Deeper Learning and Hewlett and High Tech High and all of the great partners around the country, Big Picture Learning. Because, and I'm saying that because, you know, the, the key to it, is, I think, is about providing young people with real world opportunities, authentic learning experiences. You know, the more we look to do that, the more we're engaged with them and, and, and allowing them to experience, you know, how, how the world works from, from a perspective where they can um, imagine themselves participating in and, and producing and, and achieving in that space. You know, the more we are able to do that, we're going to get great results. And the more we work together and support each other as we do that work and we share, um, you know, um, successes and failures, um, we're all taking risks. We're all doing what we know we need to do to make this thing continually work. But where we got each other's back, you know, that's that's what I, I want to leave um, your audience with, you know, that. Mm -hmm. It's a collaborative community. It's a supportive community, and we need to continue to look to each other for 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 that type of um, um, community building. Thank you very much. Great. Thanks, Tony. Until next time. This is the word in Ed. The word in Ed. <laughs>